One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My dear daughter, isn't it about time I arranged a good home for you so you can have a happy life? Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Maybe it's time to make our move. Tonight is the night of Boaz's barley harvest at the threshing floor. Take a bath, put on some perfume, get all dressed up, and go to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you're there until the party is well underway and he's had plenty of food and drink. When you see him slipping off to sleep, watch where he lies down and then go there. Lie at his feet to let him know that you are available to him for marriage. Then wait and see what he says. He'll tell you what to do. Ruth said, if you say so, I'll do it, just as you've told me. She went down to the threshing floor and put her mother-in-law's plan into action. Boaz had a good time eating and drinking his fill. Then he went off to get some sleep, lying down at the end of a stack of barley. Ruth quietly followed. She lay down to signal her availability for marriage. In the middle of the night, Boaz woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. She said, I am Ruth, your servant. Take me under your protecting wing. You are my close relative in the circle of covenant redeemers. You have the right to marry me. He said, God bless you, my dear daughter. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. And now, my dear daughter, don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you could want or ask. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are. You're right, I am a close relative to you, but there is one even closer than I am. So stay the rest of the night. In the morning, if he is willing to redeem you, then let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now go back to sleep until morning. Ruth slept at his feet until dawn, but she got up while it was still dark and wouldn't be recognized. For Boaz had said, no one must know that Ruth came to the threshing floor. So Boaz said, bring the shawl you're wearing and spread it out. She spread it out and he poured it full of barley, six measures, and put it on her shoulders. Then she went back to town. When she went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did things go, my dear daughter? Ruth told her everything that Boaz had done for her, adding, and he gave me all this barley besides, six quarts. He told me, you can't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi said, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Man, word of the Lord. Thank you, Kirsten and Johan. That was great. I uh, got to see Johan at the Philharmonic yesterday, and so good. So proud of him. Um, if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Ruth 3, and if you don't have your Bible, we have a table of Bibles at the back. This is one of those series where it's just good to read along, and if I'm, if I'm being totally honest with you, 
I wouldn't call it an insecurity. I have felt like, I have felt like, oh, is this interesting enough? Is this like, um, does this capture people's imagination enough? And, and there are ways I can be a, a better speaker, shorter, more engaging, all of that. But I've decided I'm not going to apologize about the Word of God. The, the Word has something for everybody. And it has something for you this morning. And uh, I believe that um, whatever stage of life you're at, there, there's a nugget here for you um, that you're here for a reason this morning. So if you listen to that or if you read ahead, you know we're in for a, a weird chapter. This is like Bethlehem girls gone wild, you know, so pray for me, but let, we'll, catch, we'll catch up to speed. And so just shout out the answer because we need just a little bit of, re, of a review. Uh, there was famine in the area or city known as which is ironic because Bethlehem actually means bread, city of bread. And so this man takes his family away from God's people, which is sort of a mistake. And what was the man's name? Elimelech, thank you. And he takes his wife, whose name was Naomi, very good, to sort of an idol-worshipping, non-God's people land named uh, Moab, very good. And uh, there he had thought he would move there so that his family would live, but it turns out Elimelech died, and his sons, oh, this is a hard one, anybody? Mahlon and Killian, very good. And all three died, and so now we have three widows, Naomi and the two sons' widows, and they are who? Ruth and Orpah Winfrey, right, that's the only way I remember. (laughs) And so now they're on their way back to Bethlehem because they hear God is blessing his people again, there's harvest. uh, Naomi realizes, I got nothing for these girls. I mean, I'm a widow with nothing to offer. So she says, you know what, you girls better go back to Moab, meet a nice boy, settle down. Orpah Winfrey says, you know, that's a good idea, I better skedat. And uh, it's actually Ruth who says, Maybe the coolest line in all of the book. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. And they go back to um, Bethlehem, but they are in a bad state. They are penniless and hungry. And Naomi uh, gives Ruth permission to glean, which is sort of the Hebrew pogi, the Hebrew ei, which is sort of taking the remaining barley or wheat that the other harvesters have left behind. It's, a, it's an act of kindness, of, of uh, looking after the widow and the orphan. And um, uh, let's see, let's skip ahead. Um, so then it just so happens in God's providence she ends up in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to love God, just so happens to be loaded, just so happens to be very much single, just so happens to see her, happens to initiate a conversation, blesses her, prays for her, gives her a very generous gift of a job, a temp job that will actually uh, pay for her whole year. And so here comes the guy on the white horse 
or white camel, to uh, save the day, to rescue the princess. And she works every day for him for six or seven weeks, this temp job. And, uh, and they never have a second date. He doesn't call, he doesn't text, he doesn't write. Uh, you know, there were sparks flying, and then it's all of a sudden, like, typical clueless dude, you know, he doesn't follow through. And so Ruth is left to wonder, like, are we friends? Are we frenemies? Is there chemistry? What, what's going on with our relationship? But time is running out. The temp job's almost over. Harvest is over. They're about to go their separate ways. We're down to days, maybe hours. Will there be love? Will she get to say yes to the dress? Will there be babies? We need to know. Okay. You know, this is a good, this is a good uh, short story, and like every good novel, every good television show, every good movie, there, there are these people who you just, you just are rooting for them to, to fall in love. There's this romantic tension, you know, we, we would call it in sitcoms, like, will they or won't they, right? Like, Ross and Rachel, um, Jim and Pam, Sam and Diane, Mulder and Scully, um, Niles and Daphne. That's for the Briggs family. Nobody else watches Fraser. That was just for the Briggs. <laughs> Kermit and Miss Piggy. Will they or won't they? And now Ruth and Boaz. The best stories have tension, have obstacles. This is not a slam dunk Romance, not by a long shot. So now Ruth and Naomi need to decide what can they do to make this a will-they couple instead of a won't-they couple. Now, if there was a daddy in the picture, uh, the, the path in this culture is kind of laid out for them. Dad would go to meet Boaz. He'd say, Boaz, you love the Lord. My daughter really likes you. It seems you like her. Where are we going? What are we doing? Okay? Problem for Ruth is she doesn't seem to have that kind of dad, like many women in our day and age. She, she moves to Bethlehem. She comes without even a dollar in her pocket or a bite to eat. If she has a dad, we might assume that he's not much help because he's in Moab. And as a widow in Moab, she did, after all, uh, uh, fall in line with another older widow. So plan B... Instead of the daddy option, would be for her to go the Moabite way, or what we would call even the Canadian way, which is the way of let's live together, let's sleep together, hope that we live happily after after, which often doesn't occur. You and I are born in a world that we think is normal because it's all we know. I'm assuring you of this, it's, it's more Moabite than Christ-like. You know, like, we're watching sitcoms with my family, and I'm not, look, I'm not anti-TV at all. It's just interesting to me that otherwise sort of innocuous, clean sitcoms, all, everybody ends up in bed together. That's just, that's just the way of the world. And, you know, there's a tension there as a parent and as a Christ follower. It's like, you know, most of you get 90 minutes of church, but you get hours and hours of TV and culture, and what is normal to the world is not normal or shouldn't be normal to a follower of, of Yahweh, to a, to a Christ follower. 
And so Ruth has these two options. You know, the daddy one isn't, isn't an option for her. The immoral, easy option isn't one for her. So she's going to come up with a third way. Let's call it pulling a Ruth, all right? Naomi prayed in, in chapter 1, verse 9, remember, that she'd beget a husband. Now, she's probably thinking it'd be a Moabite, but they're going to go after big bad brother Boaz, okay? And Naomi's counsel is very risky. It's very frisky. And before we begin, let me just say this, that sometimes in Scripture, it is descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive, okay? What that, what that means is sometimes Scripture tells us what happens. It doesn't necessarily tell us what we should do. It describes what happens. It doesn't prescribe what we should do, okay? You with me? Got to make that point. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day Naomi said to Ruth, you need a husband. Clock is ticking. We're down to days for this temp job. I think it's possible Naomi isn't just worried for the happiness of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. I think she might be thinking about her after Naomi goes. I mean, what would be left for a Moabite widow uh, in this culture? She's worried about her longevity. And so, verse 2, she says, what about big bad brother Boaz? What do you think, Ruth? I heard there's going to be a harvest party. heard that there's going to be, Boaz is going to be there. And uh, here's what I'm suggesting, verse 3. Get all dolled up. He's seen you, like, totally stanky in the field. He doesn't think of you in that romantic way. You're always dressed like Kurt Cobain. He thinks you're a lumberjack, okay? Get your hair did. Get your nails did, all right? Get those crest white strips. Uh, shave your pits, okay? You look like you've had Chewbacca in a headlock. For uh, <laughs> get, get some of that... M- Get some of that Moabite madness perfume, right? Get in front of Boaz. Look nice. Smell nice. Act nice. It's, it's, like, those, it's like those scenes from those cheesy 80s rom-com movies, you know, where the girl with the glasses and her hair in the bun, you know, and the guy who's been a friend with her all movie but suddenly sees her in a different light. You know, she takes off her glasses and undoes her hair. It's slow motion, right? Uh, but even the women are like, really? You're... You're putting glasses on Jessica Biel and you want us to believe she's homely. You know, that anyways. Naomi then says, and this is why we need older, wise people in our lives, okay? People who've been around the block. Naomi's been married a long time. She knows a thing or two about, about men. She tells Ruth, now, when you go there, don't just walk up to him and say, we need to talk. I don't know where we're at in our relationship, she says, let the brother finish his chicken wings, okay? Let the man hang out with his friends. Let him finish his Coors Light. Then talk to him, okay? Play it cool. Don't run up to him and drop your baggage on him, you know? Let him enjoy the fruits of his labor from a long, hard harvest season. And, and then here's what you do. This is unbelievable. Verse 4, be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there He'll tell you what to do. What? <laughs> Vicki, is this, is this advice you'd give to our daughters? No. 
Good girl. I, I will just say that this is a complicated text. How many of you think Naomi gave bad counsel? It's a debate in Christendom, okay? Some ask, is she telling Ruth to cross a line? I, I, I don't think so. She may be dancing right up to the line and putting her big toe on it, you know? But let's, let's be honest and just say that Naomi's counsel is a little scary. And Ruth says, verse 5, I'll do what you say. And when is this happening, by the way? It's happening in the days of judges when everyone did right in their own eyes, yeah. And there's all kinds of sexual sin going on. And who is she sending to lay at the feet of a guy who's just had a few drinks? A Moabite. How did her race begin? A young gal waited for a guy to have a couple drinks, and she climbed into bed with him, and that's how this whole really messed up family and tribe got its beginning. This is risky, okay? Boaz could take advantage of her. He could humiliate her. He could brand her a prostitute or an adulteress or some harlot. How about even just the rejection of you sort of putting yourself out there and then being shut down. This is, this is risky. So verse six, she went down to the threshing floor. This is the hard-packed floor. They'd bring in the grain. They would trample it with animals or with sledgehammers or carts. They would, they would break the husk. Then they'd get a pitchfork or a shovel and like whoosh, shovel it up into the air, let the wind sort of uh, um, blow away the lighter chaff and let the heavier grain fall to the ground. This is, this is where the center of the party was. This is where everyone is celebrating. Everyone's thanking God that he's blessing them again with harvest. The band's playing. Everyone's dancing. It's a big party. And just as an aside, this is what heaven is. It's a party. It's a banquet. It's a feast. No lampshades on your head and holding someone's hair as they throw up. It's a party without sin. That's what the Bible says heaven is like, a party. Verse 7, after Boaz had finished eating and drinking and he was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain. They would do this um, sleep with the grain so that the robbers and thieves wouldn't just come in. And then Ruth sneaks up like a ninja, I guess, uncovered his feet and lay down. Verse 8, around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. Yikes! A woman, who are you? Good question. Actually, in Josiah 9, it says that prostitutes would also come into the threshing floor because guys would have a few drinks. Not all of them were godly. They had payday money. Boaz is not that kind of dude. She says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Um, spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Whoa, okay. Now here's what she's saying. In chapter 2, Boaz prayed that God would take Ruth under his proverbial wing. And here she's saying, Boaz, why don't you answer that prayer, and be God's wing. Love me. Protect me. Hold me close. 
Some of your translations are going to say, spread your blanket over me. Putting, putting a blanket over a woman was akin in that day to putting a ring on her finger, you know? If you like it, then you better put a ring on it. <laughs> it was a proposal for marriage. It was usually a public demonstration where the man is saying, I want you to be my wife. I want to love you and protect you. Have you sleep in my bed? Be under my covers as my beloved. And so Ruth is flipping it and saying, I want you to marry me. You know, women don't propose back then. Frankly, I'm maybe old-fashioned enough to think they don't in 2018 either. But she's proposing that he propose, okay? She's proposing that he propose. Is she proposing something sexual here? I don't believe so. But does she have a, a desire to be under his blanket as his wife with Boaz as her redeemer, her protector? Yeah, yeah, she does. You know, some Christian women, men too, but I think particularly Christian women have been wrongly taught that you should have no desires, you should, and you should channel them toward marriage where they have a biblical resolution, right? So many of you have been told in the church, maybe by parents, maybe by youth pastors at youth group, you know, that um, in an attempt that you not be sexually active, which we don't want you to be either, but, but they've told you something very conflicting, They'll say, sex is dirty, sex is nasty and vile and wrong, so save it for marriage. I, <laughs> it's very confusing. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created sex, and that it's glorious and beautiful and good. God created us as sexual beings. God said it's not good to be alone. He, he created marriage. He wants us to be naked and unashamed, you know, to be one flesh, but that those desires need to have a, a sanctified outlet, and that's the covenant of marriage. And so she's saying, I would love to be under your blanket as your wife. Her desires are good. Her outlet for them is, is right and holy. She wants to be his wife. She's not asking to have anything inappropriate before the wedding, maybe just asking him to be a little, you know, lickety split about it. Hustle up, brother. She's, she is crossing a number of cultural taboos, though. A woman asking a man, a Moabite asking a Hebrew, a, a younger person asking an older person, an, an employee asking an employer. It's bold. It, it is a great risk. How will Boaz respond? How would you single guys respond? beautiful woman's at the foot of your bed. You know, what do you say? Do you say, let's live together for a while, you know? Find out if we're sexually compatible. What will he do? Verse 10, the Lord bless you. He prays for her. Now, if things were going in the wrong direction, that puts the brakes on it. Skirt, you know, let me just give you a little advice from Pastor Johnny here. If things are getting hot and steamy, in the back seat of the cabriolet, just say, is there anything I can pray for you about? <laughs> oh, 
That'll shut her down. You're welcome. Here's what he says. This is interesting. This is how it's literally interpreted. You have made your last hesed better than your first hesed. The first being the loyalty she's shown to Naomi. There's that word again, hesed, cafe hesed, as summarizes all the characteristics of God, his loving kindness. You are showing even more family loyalty than you did before, for you've not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. He may not have pursued her, not because he wasn't interested, maybe because she was a widow, maybe just coming out of her season of mourning, maybe because she's an employee, maybe he doesn't want to pressure her, but the ultimate reason, it seems, is that he thinks she's out of his league. It doesn't look like it. He's rich, she's poor, he's probably from a good family, she's not from a good family, but he says, I can't believe you'd want to get with me. All these good-looking farm boys around, you want to get with me? Now, it makes you wonder if Boaz is a little more on the Homer Simpson side than the Brad Pitt side, you know what I'm saying? But um, here's what he does have. may not have a six-pack, he probably got more of a, a keg going, but he's got character, got a job, he loves people, he's a good boss, he's going to be a good provider for his family, he's going to be a good husband, a good grandfather. He, he, he looks at her and says, you could have had one of these young hunks. You know, I'm more chunky than hunky. And, you know, ladies, guys are, guys are funny. Sometimes a man doesn't pursue you, not because he's not interested, but because he doesn't think that he's in your league. And Boaz tells her, you want to be with me? <laughs> Sold. You had me at hello. You make me want to be a better man. I'm just the guy looking at a girl. In a... <laughs> Goes on, verse 11. It says, don't be afraid. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to break your heart. I'm not going to play games. We're not going to have some seven-year engagement, right? I'm not going to reject you. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town to know you're a virtuous woman. And in calling her a virtuous woman, it harkens back to that translation we, we talked about last week, where Boas is referred to as a worthy man. Remember we talked about that? He's a worthy man, a man of respect. He's a good man. She's a good woman. She's a virtuous, worthy woman. Though she was a woman who didn't know God, and a woman who didn't get off to a great start, maybe, she becomes a Proverbs 31 woman, worthy of respect, worthy of praise, worthy of love, worthy of a commitment from a guy like Boaz. And so in the words of Paul, they are in fact equally yoked, equally yoked. That means that they both love the same Lord. They can hold hands and walk together, and no one's dragging the other along. Come on, let's go to church. Come on, please do devotions with me. Let's, please, could we obey the Lord? Could we please pray together? Come on, I'm dragging you. No, you need to be able to walk together at the same pace. That's what it means to be equally yoked. So what looks like a mismatch, rich, 
poor, Moabite, Hebrew, employer, employee, is in fact, in God's eyes, a, an equal match because they both love him and they love each other and they have good character. And that's why they're a good fit. She's declared her heart and now they can get married. No. Every good, every good story has drama, doesn't it? Uh, every good love story has this obstacle to the love being satisfied and fulfilled, right? You guys got to know this. If you, if you want to be with a woman, there's always going to be something difficult for you to, to overcome, to prove your love to her, maybe um, to demonstrate something to her family. Verse 12 says, there's another guy who has dibs on your hand in marriage. There's another distant relative. He has a right to the land. He's legally obligated to take care of you. Uh Uh-oh, I would love to marry you, but I'm not supposed to be that guy. In the movies, this is called the third act crunch. You think everything is going good, but there's this new, final, more difficult obstacle to overcome. In the rom-com, you know, it's the lead finally realizes she's in love with the dude that she's been having these flirty fights with for 90 minutes. But his plane is about to leave in 15 minutes, and she's in midtown Manhattan. Will she ever get there in time? And she gets there in time. Uh, this is very important, though. I, I, I think a lot of commentaries, a lot of preachers, a lot of books butcher what's about to happen here. They say that what Boaz is doing is applying um, Deuteronomy 25, the Leverite marriage law, which I don't think it is. But the legalists and the moralists and the fundamentalists, those who don't get this, they, maybe they don't get the gospel of grace. What they do is they say, well, the reason that Boaz tried to marry Ruth is to fulfill the marital, marital obligations of the Deuteronomy 25 Leverite marriage. Not true, because here's what it says in Deuteronomy 25. If a man is married to a woman and that man dies, his brother has the option of marrying and looking after that widow. So he can reject that. That would be a shameful thing, but he can reject that. Question, who is Ruth married to? I think it's actually stated in uh, chapter 4, verse 10, that, that Malon was her husband. Is Boaz the brother of Malon? Yes or no? No. He's a distant relative through the family of Elimelech, Malon's dad. And... Um, Here's my point. He doesn't have legal obligation to Ruth. He owes her nothing. And the legalists and the moralists will say, well, he's here fulfilling the obligations according to the law. No, he's not. He's not marrying her to obey the law because the law speaks nothing of this situation. So why does he marry her? He loves her. And if you miss that, I think you miss the whole story. This is a love story. Somebody say, aww. And in this, Boaz is like Jesus. And Ruth is like us. Jesus loves us, not because he's obligated to, but because he's gracious and he's kind and he's affectionate and he's dependable. And it's because of grace, not law, not obligation, 
What he tells her is this, verse 13. I'm not legally obligated to do anything. Some other man is legally obligated, but I love you, and he doesn't, and I want to marry you, and he just may want the land. I'll figure it out. So he tells her, don't walk home in the dark all dolled up while there are guys who are drinking and threshing. Stay here. Lay at my feet. This is not physical. It's not inappropriate. And then when you go home, when it's safe, I'll go get that guy out of the way and we'll figure out how we can make this happen. Guys, there there are two kinds of women. A woman you can live with and a woman you can't live without. Every man wants to marry the woman he can't live without. By God's grace, I married that woman. And Boaz is not here marrying some woman by legal obligation, you know. Um, He's marrying her because I believe he can't live without her. And the old saying is that everyone must choose their love and then must love their choice. And, And Boaz will do both. Verse 14, before the sun came up, it's still a little dark out, she's got up. He said, sweetheart, we didn't do anything but I don't want anybody to think that we did. So you walk home before anybody gets up. So he's not just preserving her chastity, he's also preserving her reputation. Paul says in the New Testament, you know, that among God's people, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. And then he says, verse 15, bring that garment that you're wearing, maybe it's a shawl, maybe it's a cloak, and he measured six scoops of barley into it, wrapped it up, We don't know exactly how much this weighs. It's a generous gift, though. It's a symbol of his commitment. He doesn't have a promise ring handy, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, uh, he wasn't prepared for this, but he he gives her this gift. He says, I'm going to go to the city. I'm going to get this resolved legally. I love you. Trust me. I'll figure it out. And so when Ruth comes to her mother-in-law, she gets home. You know, Naomi's probably been up all night pacing. Where is she? I wonder how this went. Yeah, well, probably really good or really bad, Naomi. That was interesting advice that you gave, a little scary. But she asked what happened, and Ruth told her everything, including the gift of barley. says, so that you don't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. I love that. Who was this generous gift for? Naomi. And another little subtle irony I'd like to point out. How did Naomi describe herself in chapter 1? One of the phrases that she uses is, the Lord has brought me home empty. Now the Lord, through Boaz, is blessing her, having chesed on her, literally reversing the message of emptiness. And this is great advice, just as an aside, for guys. You get this one for free, okay? Single guys, court the mother, okay? (laughs) You can say, well, I can get the girl without courting the mother. Yeah, but you can't live happily ever after, okay? (laughs) You want mom to like you too. Well, the moms, please say amen right now. Okay. Maybe that's how it'll be in my house. Uh, Maybe it'll be, can I date Leela? And I'll be like, "Mm, date me first, all right? Let's go 
for supper, and I'll get to know you a little bit, and if things go well, then you can date Vicky. And if you bring flowers, bring flowers for everybody. I don't know. I haven't thought this through entirely. <laughs> Not everything I say is smart. But court the mother, guys. I'm serious. That's million-dollar advice. Verse 18. Last verse that we'll look at today. And everybody said, amen. Naomi says, just be patient, okay, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. When? Today. Worthy man, Boaz. Man of action, Boaz. Fixer, Boaz. He's not like, oh, this is a big decision. I don't like commitment. It stresses me out. I feel lightheaded right now. You're pressuring me. No, if a woman is going to show you her heart vulnerably, you better be careful with it. You better not string her along. And Boaz is like, we should get married. How's today for you? Got any plans today? No long engagement, right? He's going to act quickly. We'll talk about that next week. And what I love about Naomi, it seems that she is being led by the Spirit in all of this. Initially, she told Ruth, don't wait, time's wasting. And here she says, wait, if he really loves you, he'll figure it out. If, if you want him to be your husband, trust him, let him go prove himself. Folks, this is not a story describing a model of how to propose to somebody. It was so romantic. She brought me to the threshing floor. There was, a, there was a very strong aroma of manure in the air. And then she got herself into the fetal position and laid at my feet. This is not what it's about. This is a story of the sovereignty of God who is working through these people in strange circumstances, even through the counsel of Naomi, though it's risky to be sure, through the faithfulness of Ruth, through the trustworthiness of Mr. Boaz. And what we see is that the flip side of the providence of God, which is the theme of the book of Ruth, is that sometimes we have to take calculated risks. I, I want to be very careful with this. I'm not saying you should make foolish decisions. That's what Elimelech did, and it ruined his family. But Ruth and Naomi here take a calculated risk. And I agree, it's, it's a big one. But sometimes when you've done all you can, you take a wise, calculated risk, trusting that God is sovereign and good and that he's in the details. I have a beautiful niece. So much love to give. So much to offer. Intelligent, beautiful shy as anything. And uh, she was going to, at this sort of rate, never be able to give love and receive love. And I'm not suggesting this as a model of anything. I just one day gave her a gift. It was like a $75 gift certificate to christianmingle.com or something like that. <laughs> Risky, maybe not, <clears throat> maybe a little out of her comfort zone, 
This July, she's getting married to a wonderful guy, wonderful Christian guy from Briarcrest. And uh, there was a bit of risk in that. And God was in the details. God, in his goodness and his sovereignty and his providence, was in those details. Ruth risks. But ultimately, she's trusting Boaz and God. And Boaz loves very much. And in this, let me submit to you that this is perhaps the greatest love story in all of Scripture. And it transpires in the context of all of the Bible story, which is the greatest love story ever told. And it's the story of God's love for his people. In Ezekiel, the exact same language of Ruth and Boaz and their love is used to describe God and his people, the Lord Jesus and his church. And the same language is used for this reason. This relationship is a picture, I believe, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I don't like the legalists who just keep trying to impose the legal obligation. They ruin the gospel message that is contained in this story. Let me just tell it to you quickly. Ruth, like the church, which is the bride of Jesus, comes to Boaz as we come to Jesus. And what does she ask? Will you redeem me? And who does all the work? Boaz, who is a picture of Jesus, who is our glorious Boaz, as the great preacher Charles Spurgeon has called him. And we come to Jesus and we ask him for redemption and he redeems us. In fact, Jesus gives his own blood. He gives us himself as a gift to redeem us, for us to enter into a relationship. And you say, well, why would he do that? He's not obligated. He doesn't owe us anything. That's what's called grace. That's love. Jesus treats us like Boaz treats Ruth. Nothing is asked of Ruth in the same way that we do not participate in any way, in our redemption, we simply acknowledge that it is the Lord Jesus, our glorious Boaz, who does all the work, who has done all the work of redemption, and we rest in that. I want to invite the band to come right now, and I would just say this as they come. If you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. He is the God of Ruth. And Boaz, you can know Jesus today. And you do it by confessing your brokenness to Jesus and asking him to redeem you. And maybe that word is a little too old-timey. Um, maybe that doesn't resonate with you. I assure you the exact words don't matter. Ask him to love you fully like you've never been loved before. Perhaps you feel like right now in life you're like somebody who is drowning. And so you just raise your hands above the water and you say, save me. Save me, Jesus. And that would be the extent of your prayer. Maybe you just say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my King. Ask him to restore to you all that has been lost. Ask him to fill that emptiness that you can't quite articulate, which is, I believe, a Jesus-shaped hole. So, I love you guys. I, I hope you're enjoying the book. Read ahead.
We'll be in chapter four next week and we'll have a wedding. And then we're going to have a baby. I want us to end this series every week with a song that just, I think, sums up Ruth. You're with us in our waiting. You're sovereign over us. Your plan is to prosper us. And uh, even what the enemy has meant for evil, you turn it into good and our glory. We stand with us as we close. Father, I, I just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to cheat scripture and have a bit of fun and as we do it, um, to acknowledge that you are a God who gives joy, freedom, and life, and love. Thank you, God, that you are preparing an eternal kingdom party for us. Redeem us, God. I love this church. I know that you do, too. I pray that you would make us, as a collective people, to be much like Ruth, faithful, and bold, but also patient and humble, walking in wisdom, being led by the Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. You really are a loved people. And uh, I'm glad that you came to church today on this beautiful, sunny day. Um, part of being the church is not just loving your neighbor and your coworker and people on your street. It's, it's loving each other, isn't it? So even as I dismiss you and you grab a coffee and mingle, be the church by really loving each other. So thank you for coming to church, but go be the church. And um, you're dismissed. Welcome to get your kids and everything, but let's, let's even close, if you can stay, just declaring that God is good and that we're running to his arms today. So God bless you as you go or stay.